0: All right, this week on the podcast, I'm joined by James Neal and Miles Keating of Team Solar. They're a company that does solar panels for residences in Maine. And I really enjoyed the conversation. I just had two very sharp guys. There's a lot of information to digest when it comes to solar energy. A lot of misconceptions, misinformation out there. I think they set the record straight on a lot of things. And I think if you're thinking about getting solar panels... This is a great podcast to listen to, get a lot of information, and uh, they're two great resources to reach out to to talk to more about it. So this is the Randy Force Your Podcast. Do me a favor, subscribe on YouTube, Apple, or Spotify. Would appreciate the follow there. Also on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you so much for listening. Here's James and Miles. All right, I'm here with my guys from Team Solar, James and Miles. How you guys doing? Doing good. How are you doing? Doing good, man. Happy to have you guys on. I was talking to James um, offline for a sec, and it seems like now is maybe a little bit more quiet time in the business, maybe better availability to do stuff like this this time of year. Yeah, this is a lot of the, the
1: planning time period, usually between December 15th and January 15th. Nobody wants to talk to us just out of holidays and you know all of the the, the different gatherings. And it's interesting because it's very predictable. It's also Mm -hmm. like that
0: around July 4th and back to school time period. Yeah. So enjoy it while you can. So, um, tell me about team solar.
1: Team solar has been around for about eight years now. It's been Mm -hmm. a, a, a moving target for a number of years in that our, our core competencies have always stayed relatively similar, but our, our focuses have, have shifted. Over those time periods, we we initially were very much a, a small business focused on on consulting in very uh, niche applications, just helping bring a transparency to the industry mm-hmm. and you know the solar coaster and when it was in its infancy. A lot of people didn't really know what was going on. they didn't understand the different finance products and the different means of, of, of pursuing solar. So we started a lot in the educational environment and moved into the residential and small commercial space. And then there was a period of time where we actually had a startup within our business, which we've since sold to a third party. But that was a very transformative era of Team Solar as well.
0: Yeah. So you're focusing primarily on the residential stuff at this point and a little bit less on the consulting and education? Well, we bring the consulting
1: and education to our our clients, uh, residential and small commercial. Um, So that's our approach. We used to do it more from a a consultancy point of view where we would Mm -hmm. step in and advise on transactions, but now we bring the educational approach to our process and to our customers, but we're able to facilitate the entire transaction turnkey. So uh, that was like a, you know, the starting point was that people were confused and we wanted to step in to help, help them not be so confused. It was a worthwhile yeah. expense for them to bring us in to make sure that they chose the right finance product or the right panels or the right mm-hmm. whatever it was. Um, but now we're able to offer all of those those solutions in-house. We still provide a lot of market education and speak at a lot of different engagements and and are always promoting the good word of solar whenever yeah. we can. But we we mostly do it through the conduit of our our sales meetings, Miles, you were probably in the field more working yeah. with customers too.
2: Yeah. And that's kind of why I've said to you, Randy, that we kind of take that educational approach just on everything that James has just said, you know, as we, we, we approach it with, you know, clarifying a lot of things that people may have heard or may not have heard and, and mm-hmm. educating people on, on, on solar and then kind of going from there and uh, laying it out for them, you know?
0: I will say as someone that's interested in solar, and we've talked about it for for me personally, we can dig into that in a bit. When I jump online and Google, you know, solar panels, Maine, like a lot of stuff comes at you, you know, and you're not sure what's real and what's scammy and what companies are based in Maine and which ones aren't, and you just kind of black out to a little bit. Is that the feedback that you get from people, or maybe maybe it's just me? It's yeah. There's there's two forces. One is a lot of legacy information
1: that's been outdated for a number of years, but it's just gotten recycled and recycled and recycled mm-hmm. in, in a ton of different blogs that are. Mostly writing blogs to stay relevant, and the other is there's there's some detached marketing agencies or marketing firms or or lead generation entities that their job is to try and get clicks to try and then sell those those particular leads, which has proven a, a relatively lucrative business and so I think that the information being put out from some of those types of organizations isn't necessarily vetted there i wouldn't say that you necessarily end up in the hands of a scam there are some clickbait things out there that are a little bit scary basically whenever you see the word free when you see the word like government paid for there's just a lot of really bad advertisements that that just it leads to a lot of confusion and we spend a lot of time Correcting, you know, what customers may have heard, and a lot of yep. the first inquiries out to us are like, "Please be the voice of reason and help me navigate yeah.
0: these murky waters." It's funny you say the government, government-paid solar panels. I, my dad fell for that a couple of weeks back. He's like, "I saw this thing government-paid on whatever." browser page he was on and he said he got a call within like three seconds of clicking the button and entering his information and basically it was like a a lead thing and they were trying to sell him but that kind of turned him off to the whole thing but you know i'll I'll be directing this podcast to him so he can get some more info but yeah there's a a lot of stuff going on there on a basic level can you just kind of walk through what team solar does for the residential customer like what the panels are like and how that whole process works
2: Miles, you want to go through with like, what, uh, what your typical sales process is? The typical sales process, you know, uh, a lot of times people reach out to us, like James was saying, you know, for clarifying information or they get our, our name from a referral source or, you know, more organically a Google search even to, or whatever, they reach out to us and we, we get back to them and, and, you know, and a- answer any initial questions over the phone or via email, whatever's comfortable with them. And really, you know, the where it starts making bigger differences when we can actually sit down face to face, you know, that's, that's kind of ideal. That's what we're going for is to actually meet the person, you know, we're here in Maine, we operate in like a two hour perimeter of the Portland area. And so really getting down, checking out their house, uh, sitting down with them, you know, a comfortable spot in their home. And during that time we're looking around and making sure their roof's good. You know, we're looking out for other things that might, they might not even be aware of, you know, Uh Um, they might just be curious and that's, great too but we're coming in um and uh just getting that conversation rolling and educating them and it, it is really simple stuff so mm-hmm. try and keep me on track here as I get going too but you know you talked you yeah. talked talk I guess you asked about our panels like maybe what yeah. panels we use is that so we we actually you can kind of look at panels now at this point as a commodity you can put them in a bracket um we use tier 1 panels only so everything mm-hmm. that's in a tier 1 panel is it's financeable from, from banks. So banks Mm -hmm. are supporting it and it has a 25 year warranty from the Mm -hmm. manufacturer. So there's multiple different companies that make essentially the same thing. And and that gives us more flexibility um, and availability the resources of getting them. Um, I kind of jumped around there, you know, talking about our process and talking about the product, but I guess that kind of answers some of those questions.
0: What does it look like when you're meeting with someone? Is it basically just, let's talk about what you're paying for electricity on a monthly basis and then see what solutions we could provide you to offset that cost. I mean, that's really what it comes down to for people.
2: It's definitely a little bit of trying to steer the boat and steer the conversation um, because it's super easy to get into the weeds and uh, be distracted by by things. And then all of a sudden a couple hours have gone past and you're like, Oh man, this is half my day. Cause I'm an hour and a half away from my house. Mm-hmm. Um, so really kind of just, it is simple stuff, right? So, looking at what their energy needs are, you know, how much they're consuming, and then comparing that against to how many panels and in locations that work on where we can put them. And we've got a pretty cool um, software that we use. I think I showed that to you, Randy, which mm-hmm. uh, gives us really accurate um, information on that as far as production estimates. So we're trying to ideally, you know, getting them into a solar array that is producing the same amount of energy that they're consuming.
1: Yeah, I, I think that there's like, Two lenses is there's like the you know the financial purview, you know, of what does this look like economically, and then there's the you know contractor implementation purview. So, like, how is this going to interact with your house? Uh, you know, how where is it going to go? What does that mean? How does it uh, you know interact with your roof? Does it prolong the life of your roof? What if your roof is old currently? you know mm-hmm. how do you h- handle and mitigate that or, or or manage that so i think that there's the you know what's the timing of the installation how long till it would start how long does it take all the above so there's the the physical installation and you know the fact that we're going to be putting equipment on the roof that is one lens of the conversation that's mostly mm-hmm. objection handling it's mostly making sure that someone feels comfortable with what's going to be there. It's it's one of the simplest attachments to a property that you could think of. Mm-hmm. It's, it's got infinitely less moving parts than your boiler could, or your whatever else is attached to your, your, your home. This is, it's simpler than a microwave. It's, it's yep. a very, very, very simple piece of technology. The other lens is that financial lens of, mm-hmm. am I eligible? It's not really eligible for a tax credit, but it's, it's can I monetize a tax credit? Um At the end of the day, what is my cost for solar going to be compared to what my previous utility um, yeah. costs were because if if you're if you're looking at it as a raw financials for most customers with even a reasonable a reasonably sunny site, you can either pay your electric bill, which that engagement never ends it's always mm-hmm. rising and you have no control over what it is per month it is constantly varied. Or you can pay for solar, which is usually if you were to finance it is a flat amount that is less than what you would have paid for the utility bill and ends. And if you're going to just compare those two lines on a graph, it's like a super obvious answer of what you would choose financially. Mm -hmm. So that's not actually the hardest part about working with customers. There's just all the other questions that we want to make sure that they're comfortable with so that they are at the liberty to make that strong economic decision. Yeah. It doesn't work that way for a hundred percent of customers, but that's the entire process is designed around uh, helping them understand and alleviate all of those other question marks and concerns so that they can make that relatively simple economic decision. Yeah. I agree with
0: you. It does make sense. When we talked about the numbers of miles, like it makes sense on some levels. One of the third. I shouldn't say some levels but like all levels financially at least but one of the things that came up for me was just the condition of my roof so i have to address that before we go and put solar panels on it so i assume that that's a common roadblock or stumbling block people have or something that has to be addressed as part of these conversations
1: absolutely if the roof is in need of replacement you you would want to do that replacement before putting solar equipment on and if you do it in a similar time period some of the benefits of the solar projects such as the 30 percent federal tax credit could extend to the cost of redoing the roof if you do them in in the same time year and we're not CPAs, so like that's always a check with your your cpa but there's some benefits to doing them together up front you're aligning the life of the roof into the solar equipment will protect the roof and add two to three times the lifespan but yeah if you need to redo your roof that's a you know an immediate hurdle to saying oh well i want to go solar first you really shouldn't you should redo your roof and then go solar if your roof is ready for replacement there's tons of those types of considerations another one that's relatively common is like we're moving next year and it's not that that's a bad financial decision, but you could see. Like why are you even
0: looking at getting solar though if you're moving in a year? Yeah, and <laughs> yeah, it can but, actually
1: but... be, in some cases, a strong financial decision to yeah. do that, but you can definitely see how a customer might have more reservations about that. Mm-hmm. And then imagine mm-hmm. the conversation if it's we're moving in two years, three years, four years, five years. It's There's a lot of customer perception in those questions. And so we try and paint the context of, How does it add value to the home in the marketplace of of selling a home? But, you know, also knowing that I don't know what the marketplace for selling a home is going to be in one year from now, two years from now. So how does it perform in recessions? How does it, you know, perform in, in, you know, strong markets? You know, we can provide some data and some national data, but it's, it's, it's helping customers understand it's the customization of, of solar integrating into their life and their Planned next steps, um, and those are the questions that we spend most of our time on. The financials is usually a, a smaller segment of the of the total conversation because it's you can paint a pretty simple
2: picture. I don't know if you agree with that. Mike. Yeah, totally, and that's why I, I apologize if you're my dog. That's that's why I you know it's so important to really get a time set with somebody and go see their house and sit down with them because you can flush out a lot of that stuff. You know, I've had situations where I've gone to, to, to someone who's interested in solar. And I said, well, have you thought about the age of your roof? You know, and she's like, oh, I didn't even really think about that. You know, oh, that's interesting. And she ended up needing to get a new roof. Um, and she went ahead with solar and she was really grateful that I brought that up because she didn't even think about that. Yeah. So being able to, you know, assess all these little different things and being in person is, is the big, big thing of, you know, get, getting to sit down with them and uh, evaluating some of those things that James was talking about, too. It's also why a lot of that clickbait stuff
1: uh, isn't a great option because it's it, it's not a one-size-fits-all product. Everyone's usage is different. Everyone's home is different. Everyone's future plans and financial situations are different. So even though we can simplify pretty quickly by being experts in the industry, we still want to come out, take a look at your property. Take a look at your roof type, take a look at what your what your financials, you know, situation might be and and help provide a customized direction. Because you can finance it, you can pay cash for it, you can utilize personal financing or or existing solar financing, you could decide to go forward with the project today, or you could redo your roof and move forward with the project in a couple months, or perhaps not at all. And so helping steer a customer to the right. I shouldn't say right outcome, but just to an informed decision, I think is the goal for us. And that's why we focus locally. That's why we want to come out to every house and work with customers one-on-one. And that's why the, the really large sales, you have a call, the person tells you some numbers and you click a digital signature. Next thing you know, someone's coming out to get on your roof that you've never met before. It's why a lot of that isn't necessarily the 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 direction
0: we would advise. Do people ask about like maintenance for panels? You know, like, am I going to need to fix these things every so often? What happens if something breaks, or I have to call someone? Like, I I could see that being something that's a concern for people.
2: Yeah, totally. Totally. So where I always start with this is. It's definitely it's a topic that you you got to talk about for sure the nice thing with solar panels is that they don't have moving parts there's no combustion mm-hmm. so there's nothing that's it's a really set it and forget it kind of technology that granted you know some things do happen pretty cool thing with this technology though is you have a app that you can monitor real time mm-hmm. and so you could be sitting on your couch and have some big snowstorm roll through and be like wow i'm not producing quite as much you know interesting you go out and maybe there's some snow on, on the panels that melts off. All of a sudden you're producing a lot more or some other, a branch comes down and does damage them. You'd get a notification that one of your panels is down. Um, Really interesting.
0: Like you can read the performance maybe of a panel and identify it as performing less than it should be. And that's a reason to have it taken a look at.
2: Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. But as far as the maintenance goes, you know, we don't, we don't recommend cleaning them. It Mm -hmm. rains enough here in Maine that they're going to kind of take care of themselves. You can monitor that on the app too. And, 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 you know, if you have questions like that, you can always reach out to us after, after the install and be like, Hey, I don't know what's going on. For some reason, this one panel or this one section isn't really getting what it should be, or I just got questions on that. So being able to utilize that, that app in real time data is is huge for Mm -hmm. that. It also answers a ton of those questions. Um,
1: And I think that there's like the, you know, I put it into a couple categories of like time, money, and risk. And, you know, people don't want something that's going to have a, a likelihood of causing leaks and, and solar panels are generally a protector to a roof rather than, you know, a, a deterrent or a detractor or something that makes the roof less viable. You know, Miles mentioned that there are no moving parts. It's just electrons that move around wires, which is why we're comfortable putting wires behind walls, because mm-hmm. there's no moving part to that. There's There's no fire hazard. So like that. That entire category of of risks is very much outweighed by just making sure that we have an engineer and properly licensed people install the equipment. In terms of the money element, there's a 25-year warranty on the major components. So Mm -hmm. if the components aren't working properly, came off the assembly line wrong, whatever it is, those items get replaced, and usually the warranties cover parts and labor. So mm-hmm. there's no cost issue for that and that's something that we can monitor and the customer can monitor through that app. And the last piece of it is time. You don't need to you don't need to go up and remove the snow, it will slide off or melt off on its own and also that's just factored into how we quote the production capabilities. You don't need to remove pollen, you don't need to sweep it, you don't need to there, there's no moving parts whatsoever. it's we, mm-hmm. we sometimes joke that it's motionless soundless odorless, tasteless you know it's it just sits there and it turns photons from light, reacts with the silicon inside the cell and the silicon just kicks off an electron and those electrons create a current. The current goes down and goes through an inverter to become AC current and mm-hmm. it interacts with the existing electric utility infrastructure that you have at or inside mm-hmm. your home so that you don't have to change the direction of them they don't they don't move it's it's mm-hmm. so simple so it doesn't have a time burden for homeowners yep. uh, my mother's solar panels she's never seen them they're at an angle on her roof that she physically can't see them she never been can't up see. there <laughs> she never touched them um, what mm-hmm. i will say is the one area that is the most common of like you know triggering some sort of reach out to us is in the monitoring because it does utilize wi-fi so when the power goes out sometimes there's one button on the inverter that's on the side of the house that might need Mm -hmm. to be touched it can usually be remotely uploaded but it's kind of like if the power goes out you have to reset the clock in your microwave Mm -hmm. that would be like the level of maintenance that i would expect to have as a homeowner and i would expect that once every five years or or something like that yeah. you know it doesn't happen every time the power goes out it's something that could happen at some point if the right. wi-fi got disconnected or something like that i
0: think that's super important for people to hear you know just because as someone that doesn't know much about it like that's where my mind goes what do i need to do to these things am i get am i gonna have to get up there and like you said sweep it or clean it off and it's just i think that's important for people to hear as more and more people become interested in solar and consider adopting it it's good to get that info out there how important is the orientation of a property to the sun or a certain direction? I assume that's pretty important. It's a great question.
2: Yeah, I mean it's important as as far as you know the the most efficient use. But mm-hmm. going back to the simplicity of it all, you know, if you have a panel and it's absorbing some sun, yeah, if it's faced the optimal direction, it's going to be producing the optimal optimal amount of power. But you can
0: account for that though, like you, that can be planned for. Yeah. Like, it's not like you just assume that all panels get the same right. amount of sun yep. just because the panels are up there. It's, you know, like, you know which way they're facing and you can even at angles, not even like direct.
2: Yes. And, and that's, then... that's we we actually address that in our proposal tool, which is really nice. So our proposal tool pulls 30-year weather history, but mm-hmm. also factors in our location on the globe, right? Because if, if we're on the equator, that would be sweet. But at we can get <laughs> a lot more sweet. power with a lot less panels. But we're not. Yeah. We're in Maine. Right, but also you know equates that direction, the azimuth, the direction of you know where we're facing south, north, east, west um, of the roof, and then also the pitch of the roof. So those are all factors that go into our power estimates with our proposals. So we we get pretty accurate data on those proposals to start off with. So you know like I've I've put together some proposals for people that are like you know I really don't want to see the panels. I don't want them on the front of my roof, and and I'm like well that's the best. South facing, you know, ideal. You can pay, you can pay a little bit more. We can put them in a different location if you're open to that, because you're going to have to put more panels up here to produce the same amount of power. And, you know, some people, well, that will help them change their mind and they're okay looking at them now, or they were say, you know, what, whatever, we can put a couple more panels in this location to make up for that less ideal orientation. So
0: I don't want to hold you to that, but that's, those are pretty accurate numbers based on that three year weather history, the slope, all the stuff that you just said, 30, you feel like the numbers years. ultimately come in pretty close.
2: Yeah. And it's a 30 year weather history, three, oh, zero
0: 30. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And that yeah. takes some of that margin of error. Out.
2: Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're very accurate. But something too, you have to consider is it is weather dependent, right? Mm-hmm. So we need to be looking longer term, right? We can't be like, oh man, this one day you know, it was cloudy and this is not producing as much as you said it was windy <laughs> yeah. on this one day. It's like, you got to look at it at a scale of like, you know, longer period, you know? Yeah. yeah, that this past summer was super rainy. So yeah, maybe this past summer wasn't as optimal for solar as maybe this next summer will be if it's really sunny. Yeah. So it's more of like a bigger picture kind of conversation.
1: We actually addressed our, we used to over perform on our, our portfolio generation of installed customers in our view, by a little bit too much. We used to outproduce what we projected, we thought a little bit too much of a margin because some of those customers wouldn't have needed to buy as many panels. So yeah. we actually slightly tightened up our, only by like one or 2%, but we slightly uh, tightened our projections because I think the, the tangential conversation to this is, you know, when is it not worth it to go solar? Is it like, oh, this is going to be on an east facing roof at, you know, a 30 degree tilt. Is that not worth it? Well, let's, you know, let's take a look at what the economics are compared to your utility bill. And then it really is for the customer to the side. We've had um, some customers that the only available spot they had was you know relatively shaded and it was you know kind of north facing but at a low tilt and um the projection of amount of sun that it could produce multiplied by the amount of avoided utility spend compared to what the total upfront cost was was you know it, it wasn't necessarily going to be a, a a money saver for them or a money maker mm-hmm. for them but they were like if it's about the same and i'm switching to green energy and I can avoid the potential risks of utility rates rising, and I know what my payment's going to be, and I'm on a fixed income, then that sounds great. So we don't really determine the investment advisement for a customer. We really try and paint the picture and paint the values of switching to solar. But there's no like, oh, you have a north roof, you can't go solar. It's You have a north-facing roof, here's how the economics you know, yeah. play out as a result of having a north-facing roof with a with a steep tilt, which would be yeah. less optimal than a unshaded Southern facing roof at an optimal tilt. Yeah. East-West can be much closer to a South facing roof uh, in its uh, productivity, depending on what the tilt is too. So there's all right. sorts of different, there's a, a technical term called TOF or tilt orientation factor. And then that gets layered over the amount of available sun or you know, netting out the shading, which is a total sun resource fraction. Um, and we utilize, on the back end of these platforms, it's some very, very complex math uh, to essentially get to how many kilowatt hours are going to be produced yeah, from these solar companies comes down throughout the calendar year.
0: Yeah, It's interesting to hear that being on a north-facing roof doesn't automatically disqualify someone from getting solar panels on their roof. It just makes it that much less efficient. and The numbers don't quite look as good, but it's not like it's impossible. So. In my mind, I thought, like, there's people that you encounter and be like, no, you're not a good candidate at all, just strictly from that point of view. But, you know, you could still do it if you wanted to. It's just a matter of what your break-even points are and efficiency. What is the typical, or I, I don't know if typical or ideal, what the best way to ask is, but what are, well, I guess, what are people looking for for break-even points on an installation? Yeah, I think it's easiest to quote it in
1: terms of, like, the average range. It's mm. usually between, like, three and eight years, three and nine years. and it definitely depends on a number of factors. The equipment warranty is for 25 years, and there's some financing arrangements that can go out as long as 25 years. So there's the break even in terms of if you paid cash for it, how quickly you make your money back. But then there's also the break even of at which point are you going to be spending more on your your solar financing cost compared to your utility cost. And so that's a, a completely different equation. Usually, our customers, if they do a ten year financing term, are going to spend less for solar or about the same amount for solar as they would by paying their electric bill um, yep. and that's if the assumed the utility rates didn't rise yeah um, so whatever your today electric bill is, you can essentially for most. You can essentially pay the same amount that you're paying now, but it's a flat cost that disappears at the 10th year versus paying the utility, which for that 10 years will be rising. And then at the end of 10 years, will continue to go up and rise indefinitely. So Mm -hmm. if you compare it to, you know, where that break-even point becomes, I would say that if you were to have to finance a a project for 25 years and you still were going to be spending slightly more on solar equipment than you would projected, uh, on your utility expenses, that might be where it's not financially worth the opportunity, depending on how long you're going to be in your home and Mm -hmm. other factors, or theoretically, if you paid cash for a project, if it was going to be a 25 year payback period, and the warrantied life is 25 years, even though the useful life of the equipment is closer to 35 years. That's where a customer is probably going to think a little bit longer about that type of of investment, depending on what it means to them, mm-hmm. you know, innately or emotionally. It, it, are they really pursuing the environmental benefits more than the economic benefits? Um so we we definitely don't determine it for a customer, but we definitely try and paint the the reality of what it is yeah. is. You know, and it's interesting because every once in a while you'll get a customer with like a fifteen-year payback period. That's like, let's do it. And sometimes you'll get a customer with a three-year payback period, and they're like, just don't see it making sense financially. And, you're, and, and we have to take both of those and just appreciate that customer's perspective.
0: Yeah, definitely. I bet you that customer where the payback period is the twenty-five years or it's fairly split over twenty-five years it sounds like that's probably not that common, though. It, there probably seems like. There's a benefit that is on a shorter time horizon than than that twenty-five years. Yeah, like three I to would imagine. three to
1: eight is like the common, like I would say that I would say that the vast majority of our customers have a payback period mm-hmm. of under eight years.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. One of the things I had for a question from Miles was about this idea of the way the solar works putting power into a battery. That your home is drawing off, but that's not how this works, correct? This is more of a—I don't know the right word, but it—it it doesn't quite work that way, right?
2: Well, it—it it, it could work that way. There is backup battery power at at this point. The cost of investing into a backup battery power, you know, isn't isn't quite. We're we're almost getting there for that's the economical decision, but it's not quite there. You know, a lot of homes have backup generators already, and that's that's the role that batteries are playing—is is backup power. So yeah, we, we're installing grid tide systems. So in the state of Maine, I think what you're kind of touching on is the net metering. So the state yeah, of Maine. Yeah, that's what I wanted to go through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're a net metering state. And what that really means is the the meters essentially use you're looking at it as your accountant. So if you don't have solar, if you're not producing your own power, that meter is spinning one direction, right? You're you're consuming power from a lot of times CMP or you know your utility provider. If you do have a solar array and you're producing your own power, say middle of the day, middle of the summer, you're not using much electricity, you're overproducing power than what you're using at the home. So that power will be coming in, hitting whatever draw it needs on the house, and any excess will be going back out into the grid, back through that meter, spinning now the opposite direction, mm-hmm. uh, and that meter is accounting for that. And every one kilowatt hour of excess energy produced, that utility provider is giving you a one kilowatt credit to be used mm-hmm. on your account so that's kind of the way you can kind of look at you know the utility as i keep saying it, as the account It's keeping track of all of, all of that for you so then come winter months you know you might not be producing quite as much you can be utilizing those excess credits that you've saved up in the summertime and um, So really- those
0: credits are are kilowatt hour credits as opposed to a dollar they're not paying you a certain that's amount of money for the kilowatts they're just. They're gonna give you one. So if the price of a kilowatt hour changes, it doesn't necessarily matter because you're getting that kilowatt hour regardless of what the cost is.
2: Right. And and currently the way it's set up too is they they do expire within a year. Um, mm-hmm. they, yeah. You can't build up like a huge bank of them.
0: But you wouldn't really do that, right? Because you're gonna you're gonna be strategic about the number of panels that you put on your roof. So there's no sense. The, the it's probably pretty rare for someone to have. You would just wouldn't do it.
2: Yeah. And, and it goes, you know, it goes back to sizing the system appropriately, you know, sizing a system appropriately for the needs that you need to meet. So, you know, you want to size a system for the consumption that's needed for that, that property.
1: Yeah. Which might be different than the consumption historically used. They might be considering adding heat pumps or EVs or whatever it may be. And the, the term net metering is, is one that I think that we use it generalized because it's really the concept of how does the the state or the utilities or or whoever's involved in a specific jurisdiction how do they agree on what the value is of energy when it passes through the meter um there's some states that you know you consider like don't have net metering where essentially if you didn't use the energy at the moment you produced it, then you don't get credit for it so Maine's... Uh, program is is I, I think more technically called the net energy billing program, and there's different offshoots to that depending on like the size of a system. You can move into different brackets, and, and the what you get credit for can change. But ultimately, when in Maine, when you pass a kilowatt hour through the meter, as long as it was interconnected and and uh, followed the proper steps and procedures, that you get the kilowatt hour credit for that on your bill. So if you look at the billing periods being monthly, if I overproduce in the month of August, um I don't just lose all of that credit. They give me the carryover of that excess production to be used later. And there mm-hmm. are some caveats that like Miles said, like sometimes they can expire after a certain amount of time, but in a calendar year, you can have a system of producing 10,000 kilowatt hours entirely offset a home that produces ten thousand kilowatt hours or that uses ten thousand kilowatt hours of energy. Mm-hmm. In Massachusetts, I think there's is technically called a, a net metering program. Um they do it slightly differently. They do it based on the dollar amount of the time period that it was produced. Okay. So state by state, jurisdiction by jurisdiction, um, the the general concept of net metering can certainly vary, and also within a state, the concept can vary um, depending on the size of the project or the generation facility. Um, so in Maine, it's you don't get that full universal credit when you go to larger system sizes, perhaps above five megawatts or above you know one or two megawatts, or even if you go into a commercial utility rate code. But generally speaking, if you're a small commercial property or a residential property in Maine, considering solar, it's highly likely that you're going to get 100% credit for 100% mm-hmm. of the kilowatt hours that you produce. So there's all sorts of like caveats to that, but that's part of why, you know, our, our lens is often needed. And there isn't just a one size fits all yeah. solar program across the country is because the, these these things matter. And so does the permitting requirements for different jurisdictions matter. And that can be municipality by municipality. The interconnection processes and requirements and how that affects something like net energy billing or net metering matters. And that can be utility by utility or state by state. So we, you know, obviously behind the scenes, we don't bore customers with the long history of legislation and, and whatever it may be, but we we take And drill down through all of that information to present to a customer a customized and simple solution that is going to make the most sense for them and we answer their questions until they can't think of another one to make them feel comfortable and moving forward the project
0: well all that we've talked about in the past 40 minutes you can see how many moving parts there really are but i think both of you guys do a really good job addressing even the things that i'm bringing up today so i pre- definitely appreciate that one of the things i wanted to mention we talked about getting credit up to a certain point depending on the size of the solar array that you're going to do one of the things that i'm considering is putting a solar array on an apartment building that i own to offset multiple properties that i own you know and i know i think we're approaching that limit but we're not quite there miles um that's obvious consideration i wouldn't have even known about you guys are on top of it but do a lot of people realize that's an option to, to have these solar arrays offset other properties that they own, not just the one that they're putting it on? Yeah, it's a huge benefit within the
1: state of Maine <laughs> that you can take the excess energy from a meter, um, and as, as long as you set it up properly, and you can essentially transfer that credit to other meters, either whether at the same property location or within the same utility. And there's some kind of capabilities doing that in other states, but it is really, really clean and simple in, in Maine based on some of the projects that we've done historically. So if you're a landlord with you know a multi-unit, you can consider what it would be to put a, a project on that property and then equally weight the benefit of that solar system down to your tenants. Um, you can look at putting equipment on you know, one property that you own and oversizing it and offsetting, you know, both properties. So that way you can maximize, you know, one big sunny barn roof, you know, to you and a couple family members' properties rather than each of you in maybe shadier locations um putting your own solar systems on. So there's there's plenty of ways we've seen people get creative with it. We've almost seen like you know, family co-op uh, solar systems go in and we've seen a lot of, you know, landlord projects and we've seen a lot of multimeter small business projects. Um, so we've seen it used a number of ways and it's not a a, a, a 100% of the time solution, but it is a huge value for, for those that either own multiple properties or own properties with multiple meters. Um, it's definitely something
0: to consider. Yeah, that's something I want to spread the word on for you guys. I know a lot of people in that landlording community, so there's some potential, you know, seeing how how my project goes. I, I think it would be a great thing to be able to point to with the people that I know. Yeah, it seems like it seems honestly like a
2: no brainer to some degree,
0: you know, the, at least the way the numbers are.
2: So yeah. Yeah. appreciate you uh, having us here and and uh, getting that word out there because as more More parties are involved with with the solar industry, as James was saying. The real information that's out there and make sure you're getting the correct information is huge. Mm -hmm. So, yeah.
0: Listen, I don't want to take any more time. You guys, I appreciate you spending the time with me and and sharing all this great information. I look forward to getting it out there. And uh, what's the best way to find you guys?
1: TeamSolar.us or or giving Miles a call and emailing Miles at TeamSolar.us.
2: Yep. Love it.
0: All right, guys. Appreciate the time. Thanks again. Have a good one.
2: Yeah, you too, Randy. Thank you very much. Appreciate it, man. Thanks, right. to Randy. Thanks so much. Nice to meet you.